Okay, so today's guest on the podcast is Joseph Frisson. He is a longtime friend of mine. And I always said that if I was going to write a book on happiness, he'd be one of the first people that I interview for that book. And since I'm not writing a book anytime soon, I wanted to bring Joe on the podcast. But as I was setting up the podcast with Joe, I started to think about maybe it's more about mindset than happiness because Joe has a way of kind of like an unstoppable way of having a positive mindset. And anybody that knows him would say that about him, that he has a very powerful mindset and a way of getting things done. And the podcast, is, it's, it's been about you know, mindfulness and psychology in the past. And, and there we've explored topics such as like how to be more mindful, be more self-aware, but also I want the podcast to go into topics such as, you know, potentially having a powerful mindset. So Joe, if you will, why don't you tell the people listening a little bit about yourself and about your History, maybe about our relationship or just about your journey, whatever you see fit. Thank you very much, Mr. DeConti. So if I were to start from the beginning to get to where I am today, when I was about 12 years old, I experienced the first and only loss of my life, knock on wood, as I'm now 31 years old. Uh, my grandfather had passed away due to emphysema related to a long time of smoking cigarettes since he was a young man. He had been the person in my life who had watched me a lot when I was a child and taught me how to play poker. Um, more or less, after he had passed away, I, I met a group of friends who was also um, into poker. At that point in time, I kind of thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to be a professional poker player. So I applied to one college, being University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I got in probably within two months of applying, figuring I could be a professional poker player at 18 not even of legal age. Clearly, that was not the right thing to do. I eventually left, went to SUNY Buffalo, got an economics degree, and then uh, went to law school. While in law school, during the first month, there was a table in the cafeteria that said, sign up for a joint JD MBA program with LIU Post. I said, why not? Can't hurt. Didn't really want to do law review or moot court. So Fast forward two and a half years, I graduated law school early and also had my MBA, uh, a program that normally takes five years combined, took me two and a half years. Um, shortly prior to that, in 2010, I still fulfilled my lifelong goal of playing the World Series of Poker. Uh, I had played in a $1,500 event and was actually, as far as I know, the youngest person to ever cash in a World Series of Poker event at the age of 21 years old and two days. Um, I guess for, for my mindset, it's more so of why not? Why, why can't I? Who's stopping me? Um, is somebody going to you know, kill me if I, if I do this? Will somebody have control over my life? And the answer always becomes no. You know, it just, they're not the police. They're not going to arrest you. And they're not going to kill you. So just do it. So apply to only one college in Vegas. And everybody thinks it's a bad idea because that's what you want to do. You know, transfer to Buffalo instead of a different school. That's what you want to do. You know, do a joint JD MBA. Even when people say you shouldn't do that, you're going to be a lawyer. You should actually do Toro Moot Court or Toro Law Review. So, so can I pause you there for a second? 
Yeah. I know because we're friends that you were the youngest person to ever make partner at your law firm. I think you were, I think it was before you were 30 years old or maybe when you were 30. It was like three weeks after I turned 30. So the youngest person to ever make partner at your firm. My question is related to this and what you said before. You finished a program that normally takes people five years and two and a half years. And you, you were the, you, the youngest person to ever make partner at your law firm. How, what is it that allows you to do these things that normally take people more time and to do it just to speed up the process? How do you do that? The corny answer would be hard work and determination. But the more realistic answer is what my mother always says. And it's Joseph just has it. When he wants to do something, you just do it. That's what everybody should be doing. When you want to do something, just do it. Whether it go back, go back to school, open up a business, go to choose a different career path from accounting to psychology, you know, whatever it is, just, just do it. You know, there's nobody actually stopping you from doing something but you. Uh, you know, nobody clicks the button on the application for you, but you. Nobody, you know, hires an attorney to file a corporation, but for yourself, but you. Nobody changes their career path, but you. It's all in your power. It's just people sometimes don't want to do it for, for uh, multiple reasons, whether it be it's going to take too long, be too hard, don't know what the future holds. They may uh, have anxiety about the concerns of financial status. Or, you know, dozens of other factors that weigh on people's minds preventing them from doing something. So, you know, while I'm cognizant and aware of all those negative things, I just simply choose to ignore them and do what I guess I want to do. So that what you want to do. So that could explain how somebody might make the decision to go to law school or to, you know, try to make the, the goal to become partner. But how is it that after you've made that decision and after another person that might be listening makes a decision that they have a goal, how do they then do it in, in the amount of time that you're doing it? What comes after you make that decision and you've, you've started to go in that direction? How does it then, how do you have this force that, that gets it done? You have to just basically go all in. That's really your only option. Um, and not to make any type of poker puns, but you know, normally to win a tournament, uh, you have to go in a few, to, all in a few times um, and, and risk it all. Uh, for me, you know, when I did the joint JD MBA, I, I kind of went all in. I took, you know, the law school in the morning, in the afternoon, and night school MBA. I took weekend classes. I took winter classes. I took summer classes. If there was a time that class was being given, I took it so I could, you know, finish as soon as humanly possible. Um, and I guess that's kind of what I did. I just wanted to start life um, like time was of the essence, which it is. So I wanted to accomplish those things in as quick as possible and as little, in as little as of time as possible. And I, and I wouldn't even say they were goals. I would say they were more stepping stones. So like most people that know me and know Fritz will say, you know, he always says he should be president in 2040. So with that long-term goal in mind, there's a lot of things that you need to experience and know and become aware of to be the best, you know, in that role. So if, if my if my true life goal slash role is to lead this uh, once and soon to be again glorious country of ours, um, I need to do certain things. So let you know, me ask to- you something. Um, when you say 
you know, just work and do what you have to do. I talk a lot on this podcast and in, in the people that have been on the podcast before, we've talked about the topic of self-care. Where, where do you see, do you consider that? What would you say to someone who says that there's, uh, that self-care is an important thing? How do you fit that into this, this model that you live? Well, I guess it's kind of goes back to the original, just do what you want, do what you want for you. So, you know, taking care of yourself is in multiple ways. It's physically and mentally, obviously, um, you know, obviously physically, it may be better to work out and eat healthier, but mentally, if you want to have that, I guess, piece of candy or slice of cake, go for it, but still work out. Um, so, so ask me that question again and maybe i can give a more clear do you answer think, I think I, do you I ever consciously think about self-care i think it's a subconscious thought for me at this point um i don't have to consciously think about what um i need to do for self-care because i just do it you know what do i want i want to i want to golf a lot so every day i wake up at five o'clock in the morning i drive to the golf course play nine holes and get back to my desk at nine o'clock and then i start doing work all day um, you know, self-care for me is I, I want to, you know, um, eat certain things, I guess, you know, so to do that, I eat healthy and then I'll be able to eat candy later on. So, I mean, self-care is, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, routine for some people. Um, but it's really just, what do you need to do that's going to make you happy and put you in the, the mindset to allow you to achieve what do you want to achieve, big or small, you know, whether it be, I want to get a dog and take care of it, or I want to start a business, or, you know, I want to help the lady down the street um, once we gardening, whatever it may be, you have to just, you know, get in the right mental state to just want to do it. You know, you, people try to trick themselves into doing things they don't want to do. And that's where a lot of unhappiness comes from. How does somebody do that? You talk about just doing it or getting in that state. I think people listening might have the question, of, okay, that sounds nice. It sounds nice. I want to be able to just do it. But what if, what is it? How does somebody get to that point? I guess would be living in the moment to, to one extent. You know, in the moment, if you want to do something, do it. You know, whatever. And I'm not saying, you know, commit crimes or do illegal things but if you want to i guess again to bring you an example go golfing in the, every day go in the morning um just go and do it you know if you want to get a dog just go get a dog and then take care of it obviously you have to be cognizant and conscious of any repercussions you can't go golfing every morning if you're not gonna you're gonna go take a nap when you get back every day for four hours you can't get a dog if you don't want to take care of it so i mean there are those things you have to be be aware of when doing this but I guess when I say just do it, I mean, don't let the negative or repercussive thoughts come into your head when making a decision. If you want to do it and you're like, well, I want to do that to make me happy. And then your next step is to think about, Ugh, I'm going to have to wake up at 5 a.m. I'm going to have to not take a nap when I get you know, back to my house at 8 a.m. You know, all those things. And maybe you're not going to do it. But if you want to, again, golf, then just go do it. And then maybe deal with being a little bit tired that day. Go to sleep earlier than I before. Go to sleep earlier the next day so you get more rest. Um, Was there ever a time when you had these thoughts and they were more in control and you wouldn't do things that you wanted to do because of these other thoughts? 
you know, do I have doubts or concerns? Yes, but they just get glossed over. I'm very cognizant and aware of all the negative things that, you know, um, may come from what I, what I try to do or what I want to do. Uh, you start a business, you quit your law firm making, you know, a uh, 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 very high six-figure salary to basically start making nothing and work for yourself. You know, I'm aware of, of I could fail and be and do nothing, but my my thought into that is there is there just is no failing. I'm going to be homeless and dead before I'm not successful in my own firm. That's how I see it. You know. You said you mentioned your grandfather when you first started. How come? Because I kind of wanted to. I guess if I had a starting point as to you know if I'm going to talk about how I went to UNLV and how I want to be uh, a professional poker player early on. And, you know, even did that and had the mindset that no one could stop me from that. I guess there'd be, it would only be fair to uh, give credence or, or credit or let the listeners be aware of where this whole theory of me and my mindset started. Um, and it more so sends back to when I was 12, 13 years old. I think December 4th or December 2nd, 2003 is when he had passed away. This was something um, that, you learned from him. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess uh, you could say uh, to some extent I learned from him because I mean, he was a big uh, gambler on horses, a successful one at that. And I always remember my grandmother um, saying, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't go to OTB. And he would take me to OTB when I was like five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, he always slipped me some money after he won because he won every time. At least that's what I saw it as when I was a, a child, not knowing more. but. You know, he would kind of always just do what, what he wanted to do. He's a very happy guy. You know, I, I always saw him as a righteous guy. So I do what I think is, is righteous at the end of the day and what's, you know, right and, and best for all. Um, so that's kind of why I speak about him. He's kind of the jump off and starting point as to um, my mindset, I guess. Okay. What about, like, I, I've asked you some specific questions that maybe, like, pigeonholed us into a certain way. If Just generally speaking, what, what uh, maybe advice is a strong word, but, like, what wisdom do you think that you have that other people could benefit from in terms of their psychology? And when you talk about just doing it, I think there's a certain sense of psychological freedom in that, in that there's, no, there's not as many psychological obstacles what like general insider wisdom would you would you talk about? So I mean, I think everybody has the wisdom. They just have to realize it. They have to realize that when they make a decision that impacts their life, they're the only one that should be making that decision at the end of the day. And if the decision leads them to what they think will make them happy, then they should go for it. And then you know, if it fails, it fails. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But you always have to make sure it doesn't fail by making sure whatever you're doing is making you happy and whatever decisions you make, make you happy. You may at first be happy to start your business and then maybe not like it. And if making you happy means, you know, closing that business or doing something else and do that, um, you know, to, but to break it down to an actual, you know, um, logical thought as to wisdom that I could um, hand off and pull from my brain it, it it would really just be do what makes you happy. Um, you know, whatever that, I guess some people just can't be happy. Um, at the end of the day, uh, maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't, but I'm sure 
there are certain people, even people that may be listening that just whatever they do, they feel like they can't be happy, but they can be happy just that what they're doing isn't making them happy. So you just got to think to yourself, that'd be my wisdom. You have to think to yourself and say, what's going to make me happy? You lay in bed and what do you want to do? You want to go up and be an astronaut? Go to Google and see what do I need to do to become an astronaut? You want to be an FBI agent? Google that. You want to be, you know, uh, a McDonald's fry cook? Google that. You know, um, just whatever you wake up in bed, if you wake up every day and you feel stressed or anxious, you don't want to do because you don't like your job, we're going to make enough money or you don't have the, the you know, romantic connection you wish you had in your life. Just go do it. Um, that's kind of it. How much is, is Nike paying you for this? <laughs> um, they're, they're paying me no money for it. <laughs> you talk a lot about just do it. And I think that that, that question comes up for me in, uh, I, you know, I work as a therapist and for people listening, if you don't know that I work as a psychotherapist and I've been finding myself asking this question a lot during the sessions is people will talk about obstacles in their life and things that they can't do. And I find myself asking the question a lot lately, at least in the last three months or so, who is it that you think is in control? And it, it makes me think of that question. When you say, just do it, it's, it's this question of who is it that the people that I'm talking to or people listening think is in control? And it, what is it that they think is getting in the way? So you're what asking you what, I th what, what, what do I think are the, are the roadblocks to somebody having a, a, a better mindset? I guess, yeah, sure. You can answer that question. Uh, I mean, the roadblocks are, are your own, you know, they're, they're all self-created. That's what I guess you have to realize to have a better mindset would be to understand that anything in your head is simply in your head, even if it's the good stuff like me, you know, it's just in my head that I can start my own law firm or, you know, go to Vegas when I'm 21 and play a world series of poker events or, you know, this thing, that thing or the other thing, just as the other person with negative thoughts who said, I can't open my own firm, right? I can't be an attorney or I can't do both these degrees or I can't go to Vegas and, and um, play the world through the poker. Those thoughts will control them. Um, those thoughts will, will impact their mindset to prevent them from doing things. So the roadblocks will always end forever. Prove me wrong in parentheses, be roadblocks for everybody. Um, there's nobody else. You know, are you in chains? Like I said, are this person going to kill you if you make that decision? Are they going to take away your house? If the answer is no one, it's going to make you happy. Just do it. Yeah. Hashtag Nike. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's, that's a question that comes up a lot in my work as a therapist or as a mindfulness teacher is that question of like, okay, I understand logically that I just, that there are actually no, in some circumstances, you know, in some circumstances there are financial restrictions or for sure. Psychological I mean, I got a loan. I, I, I'll pull this. I got a loan for my law school, man. Yeah. I mean the whole, a couple hundred K, but you know, hopefully when I'm a billionaire and I could, you know, do what I need to do. It won't be an issue anymore. Right. So there's like, there's financial restrictions and also potential like psychological restrictions. Let's say somebody has PTSD if they have, if they were at, in war mm. or if they were sexually assaulted, like there are things that create obstacles in the mind. And it's just like, 
I, th- I, I don't know when, when we're talking, when I, a- so when I ask the question, who is it that you think is in control? I'm asking it more of like, as a philosophical question to understand, oh, is there something in, in the way? I think in some people's circumstances, they are, there's, there's enough freedom psychologically with some insight and wisdom to be able to see, oh, I'm standing in my own way. But I think there are some circumstances where there are actually external obstacles. And what would you say to that? Uh, the people that have built up or, or pushed down your self-esteem could be a fair intrinsic factor, I would presume. If you're, you know, your family and who you're with and your friends weren't that supportive and say, no, you can't do that. You're an idiot or um, that's not a good idea. You lose all your money or, you know, don't eat that. You to get fat, whatever it may be. Um, these extrinsic factors are weigh heavily on somebody's self-esteem. So I guess those, those actual external roadblocks would be the people in your life um, and the things that you do and they do with you. You know, if you wake up every single day and only play video games for 12 hours um, with, all your, with all your friends when you're 23 and you don't have a job and they don't have a job, then, you know, you have no motivating factors in your life. Um, and again, I, I think the thing that motivates me most, you know, starting with the passion of my, my grandfather and him wanting to always be the righteous guy in the room, you know, would be in 20 years. And I, I know it sounds corny. I know it's probably a broken record at this point. Um, although it's a podcast without any records, so I guess we have broken digital stream or whatever you call it. Um, I see myself, you know, honest truth as a presidential candidate in 20 years, maybe 30 years, maybe it's 40 years, but I have that type of, I guess, sight in the future that prevents any of those external roadblocks from, you know, cramping me down. Although I really don't have those type of roadblocks. Uh, thankfully and luckily, but like you had mentioned, you know, the person with PTSD or the person who was sexually harassed, which was, uh, you know, dreadful and, and horrible and disgusting in all lights, in all respects. Um, you know, maybe they, they live in fear of, I don't want to go to law school because if I have a male teacher and they were, you know, sexually assaulted by a male teacher, I feel as if the male teacher may sexually assault me, even though it's a different person in a different school in a different state, you know, uh, in some circumstances. I guess for them, they just need a, a, a external anti-roadblocks, you know, a, a support system around them that lets them know that, you know, we're here to protect you. You know, if they feel like they can't be protected um, for the person with PTSD, you know, realizing that they're not there anymore. They've been removed from the situation and, you know, try to go about every day um, in a way that removes any of those external roadblocks from your life. And I, I know it's way harder. Uh, for people in those circumstances, and I make it sound and have a plethora of respect for them. Um, so I don't want to make it seem as if I am belittling or reducing their situations or external factors in any way. Right. It's more so just that um, you kind of just have to realize, like, obviously, I've never been sexually harassed. And I don't have PTSD. I don't have um, any of those type of, of external roadblocks. Right. Um, so I think like I, what well, the point I was trying to make before is that maybe in some ways it's a matter of fortune, of having the fortune to have, like you mentioned your mother before, you mentioned your grandfather, to having these supportive 
people in your lives. And sometimes like when people come to me in therapy, they, they literally can go through their entire lives without having this. And if somebody is female or male and they were sexually assaulted by a male when they were younger, they might have a, a, an emotional distance from men from the, from the rest of their lives. And then in the therapeutic relationship, we rebuild that because they learn to trust me. They learn that I am there to support them. And in that, in that relationship that is building, they then um, over, not overcome, but work through some of those potential obstacles. So um, it's, I think that all this to say, I think it goes back to like my psychological, my physiological question of who is it that one thinks is in control? And I think that if somebody is working on their mental health and gets to the point where they have the wisdom and insight to know where their psyche uh, is made up, where their cognition was uh, derived from, their super ego, so to speak, like the, the, the messages that they're telling themselves. If somebody has the wisdom and insight to see where this came from and then the the intelligence or the mental health the sense of mental health awareness to realize what is objective reality you know if somebody has been telling them they're no good for their whole life but they can come to see that that's not objectively true and they that they actually haven't done anything wrong then they can be free from the weight of that super ego or that negative message and then i think only at that point when somebody is uh, self-sustaining enough in there in their sense of self and their uh, their self-worth then they can start applying this like i'll just do it you know like i'm in a, i'm in the driver's seat i am in control so i think it takes work it takes support from either family friends or self to get to that point yeah your job as therapist is to be the roadblock remover and one thing to just tack on real quick to that thought you had is that you and by you i mean any individual is the only driver in a car and they're also the only passenger. Um, you know, you're driving a car. If it goes off a cliff, you die. Um, if it doesn't, you don't. You know, um, don't act if there's other people in your life that should be weighing you down. Uh, don't drive off a cliff at the same time. But, you know, realistically speaking, if you're using the metaphor of driver in a the car, then act as if you're the only passenger as well. You're driving yourself. Don't let other people um, do it for you or prevent you from doing it, grabbing the wheel or pressing the brake or hitting the gas if you're not ready. Hmm.